Welcome to Arkansas AgCast, your source for the latest news and views in Arkansas agriculture. Arkansas AgCast is produced by the Arkansas Farm Bureau Federation. Welcome to Arkansas AgCast for September 24th. I'm your host, Rob Anderson. This week, we hear from a cattle producer and mother about youth livestock events during this unusual year. An Arkansas Farm Bureau Director of Policy Development and Legislative Research, Jessica Clauser Burkham, fills us in on CFAP2, the recently announced second round of coronavirus aid for U.S. farmers. We also have a special interview with Jason Brewer of Ritter Farms. Last week, President Trump and the U.S. Department of Agriculture announced a second round of aid for U.S. farmers and ranchers under the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program. CFAP2, as it's being called, will make available another $14 billion to eligible farmers and ranchers. For the first time, rice, peanuts, and other Arkansas commodities are included. Ken Moore spoke with Jessica Clauser Burkham, Director of Policy Development and Legislative Research for Arkansas Farm Bureau, and she explained why this additional assistance is needed as the COVID-19 pandemic continues to impact agricultural production. I'm Ken Moore, and this week on this edition of Arkansas AgCast, I'm speaking with Jessica Clauser Burkham. Jessica is Director of Policy Development and Legislative Research for the Arkansas Farm Bureau Federation. And uh, Jessica, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Ken. I appreciate being on. Jessica, we're going to talk about uh, a major announcement that came down last week. Uh, President Trump and Agriculture Secretary Sonny Perdue announced a second round of direct aid to farmers and ranchers across the country through the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program. They're calling it CFAP-2. Uh, and this will uh, authorize up to $14 billion to help farmers and ranchers who continue to suffer from depressed markets due to the pandemic. $14 billion of additional aid. That's great news, Jessica. Tell us how this just uh, is desperately needed right now as the pandemic continues and uh, which of our farmers and ranchers will benefit from this because they may not have been able to apply for and benefit from it during the first round. Sure. Thanks, Ken. So as you mentioned, last Friday, USDA announced um, the new Coronavirus Food Assistance Program 2.0, or CFAP2, um, that will provide direct payments to farmers and ranchers to partially offset some of the COVID-19-related losses that they suffered. We all know going into the coronavirus, ag was in a cyclical downturn, and um, coronavirus just really exacerbated the hurt that our our farmers and ranchers were feeling. Um, The payments are going to be broken down into help for our our row crop producers. They will either receive a flat rate of $15 per acre. That will be for our rice and our peanuts and our hemp growers. Um, Our other row crop guys, corn, cotton, uh, soybeans and others are going to receive some type of payment based on a formula. Folks can access that at farmers.gov or um, on our social media if they need to see that formula. For cattle producers, there will be a uh, maximum inventory um, between April 16, 2020 through August 31st. It'll be uh, $55 per head payment rate. Um, all marketable animals are eligible. So that includes 
calves, replacement heifers, uh, sale bulls, virgin sale bulls, things like that. Um, breeding stock is not eligible, so your mama cows, your cold cows, your herd sires, they are not going to be eligible. Um, and then something that's really great this go-around compared to CFAP1 is our, our aquaculture and specialty crop guys are going to receive mm -hmm. some help. So yeah. um, those guys will receive a um, percentage of their 2019 sales back um, that will be prorated out based on the total amount of uh, sales that they, they sold in uh, 2019. Pecan guys. Um, tomato folks, watermelon. So it really, really helps some of our specialty crop folks and aquaculture folks who have never received any type of assistance from um, the government like this. I'm noting here in this announcement that under the first round of CPAP earlier this uh, year, our farmers and ranchers were approved for more than $136 million in payments that lasted through September 13th, just a little over a week ago. And the Department of Agriculture said the awards were made through more than 18,000 applications submitted from Arkansas. Do you expect uh, a number of other producers, you know, we have 18,000 applications earlier this year. Can we expect that many or more during the second round of assistance? Oh, absolutely. You know, the CFAP2 payments are not contingent upon if a producer applied or received a CFAP1 payment. So I strongly encourage folks to reach out to their local FSA office to consult farmers.gov to answer some of those underlying questions, frequently asked questions that they have. Um, and even if you as some of our producers are unsure if they qualify, again, I just really encourage them to reach out either to Farm Bureau, to their FSA office, or to others, other resources, um, because it certainly can't hurt to investigate if folks are eligible. Jessica, I know you and your, your colleagues there in our uh, uh, governmental relations and public affairs office uh, are in constant contact with our producers across the state for the benefit of our listeners to our conversation today who may not be aware i mean the pandemic is affecting them in many many different ways and as long as it continues uh it's just increasing the burden along with you know we're having trade issues now some markets may be reopening we're learning that the chinese are starting to import more soybeans that's good news for our soybean producers uh and, and some other things like that but you know, this has been a very, very difficult year for our farmers and ranchers just to produce food to put on our tables, hasn't it? And they need continued assistance. Absolutely. And um, production agriculture was certainly not um, the lone industry impacted by the coronavirus. We saw uh, restaurants, retailers, uh, salons, um, everybody was impacted. So, um and we also experienced some severe supply chain issues earlier this spring, particularly in the, the protein market, the cattle market, as some uh, plants were forced to go offline to address COVID-related health um, issues. So, yes, the, the, the CFAP2 payments are very much appreciated. Um, they do not make folks whole. Um, there, there are you know, eligibility requirements, you know, no entity can get more than the payment cap of $250,000. They have to have 
they cannot, their AGI cannot exceed $900,000, the same parameters outlined for our farm bill program. Um, but again, to keep, the, to keep the supply chain moving and to keep folks um, going forward into looking into next year, to have that new cash crop as they plant that new crop, these payments will definitely be helpful to them. And uh, talk about how this uh, coronavirus food assistance program kind of has been working in conjunction with the payment protection program, which we've reported on earlier. Uh, the PPP has also been very important and critical for them, hasn't it? Oh, certainly. Um, a lot of our folks took advantage of that program um, to make sure that their, their employees could remain uh, on the farm with them. Um, to make sure that their business could could um, try and keep afloat as we, we went through that, you know, extreme uncertainty this spring um, when the coronavirus, the, the spikes first initially happened and the economy shut down. But as we see the economy um, begin to reopen, uh, we know that folks were appreciative of those efforts. And, again, the TFAP2 payments are certainly going to help them as they look into uh, – producing for next year. Exactly right. Well, Jessica, thank you so much. We're always uh, grateful to be able to report uh, some good news. Uh, and just finally, just comment about how our congressional delegation, which you and, again, your colleagues work very closely with. I know Matt King and your department works very closely with our congressional delegation. Uh, they understand the needs of Arkansas agriculture and uh, making sure that uh, you know, our state's largest industry is protected during these uncertain times. So they'll just give a shout-out to them and the work that they're doing as you guys work with them very closely. Absolutely. Our congressional delegation is fantastic, top-notch. Um, we have very open dialogue with them and are very, very appreciative of them keeping agriculture front of mind as they work to navigate the uncertainties in D.C., um, we're very grateful to see the CCC fully funded in this latest agreement for a CR to keep the government open through the end of the year. And we know that our congressional delegation definitely had a hand in that and really look forward to expressing our, our thanks to them when things get back to normal, hopefully, and um, working with them in the future on other issues. Thank you so much. So we've been speaking with Jessica Burkham. Director of Policy Development and Legislative Research for Arkansas Farm Bureau on this edition of Arkansas AgCast. Next, White County cattle producer Dana Stewart joins us to talk about the importance of youth livestock events her children and niece participate in and how these activities change this year in the face of the pandemic. Welcome to AgCast. I'm Keith Sutton with Arkansas Farm Bureau. Today, it's my great pleasure to be talking with Dana Stewart of Judsonia. Uh, Dana is the Vice President of White County Farm Bureau, and uh, you're also the mom and aunt of some children who really enjoy show showing livestock at various events. Is that right, Dana? That's right, I am. I have a 10-year-old daughter, Jewel, a 7-year-old son, Henry, and then I have a 12-year-old niece that kind of runs with my crowd. Her name is Madeline, and they spend a lot of time working their, their livestock. Well, and, and being those ages, I bet they keep you busy with that, too, because usually kids, once they find something like this they enjoy, they want to do it all the time, don't they? They do, um, and we do stay busy for us. 
know, 90% of the work happens before we get to the show. And so we start uh, working. Actually, we'll start getting ready for next year um, at the end of October. So we really spend a, a whole year working on, on, a, on a project. Why don't you uh, tell folks a little bit about what type of animals the kids like to show? How about Jewel? What does your daughter Jewel like? So Jewel, um, we have a beef cattle farm, and so it is first nature for us to show beef cattle. So she has some breeding heifers that that she shows, and we also have a little uh, boar goat herd. And so we show market weathers and, and uh, weather dams that we raise. And then Jewel also, um, a couple of years ago, decided that she wanted to show some lambs too, market lambs. And really uh-huh. the whole idea of that was uh, learning to show the market lamb could help her learn to be a better goat showman, and it certainly has. And how about Henry? Now, he's a little bit younger, seven years old, and some people who are listening may not realize kids that age have opportunities to uh, work with these show animals, too. Certainly. Yeah, Henry is seven, um, and so it's a different dynamic, working with Jewel and working with Henry. Um, But Henry has a a heifer that he shows. He has a goat that he shows that he's capable of of working with and handling on his own. Um, You know, programs like the uh, Arkansas Junior Cattlemen's Association has an opportunity for him to show and show um, and our, like our county fair show, he can show in the Pee Wee show. So there's several opportunities out there, even for those kids that haven't reached what, what you, we would traditionally call nine years old would be for those of us that grew up in a different generation. That was the time when you right. were showing. But now that's, that's gone down to five through the work of uh, the Cloverbed program and 4-H. And so there's a lot of opportunities out there. All right. And, and your niece, Madeline, how about her? Madeline also shows uh, bee cattle and market goats, yep. Okay. What are some of the uh, events that you all have been to this year, Dana? We've been everywhere from little local jackpots all over the state to um, we actually went to our National Junior Heifer Show in Springfield, Missouri. That was in July. Um, We did not know. For a long time, if that event was going to happen, we were kind of on pins and needles for a while. And, uh, actually, it was about six weeks out before that event that they made the call. We were going to go ahead and have that event. And so those last six weeks, we put in a lot of extra work to make sure that we could have a, a good trip. And we did. And we're, we're really fortunate that we got to do that because there were some national heifer shows that got canceled this summer. Well, there's uh, a lot of work involved in in working with your children and raising these animals and teaching them all that they need to know about about showing them properly and taking care of them. Why why do you go to all that trouble? What is it that's important about your children doing this uh, that keeps keeps you doing this year round? I think you can probably break it down into three areas. And the first is they're learning true technical career vocational skills. They're learning about our livelihood and how we raise these animals and anything from daily care and management and why it's important that they have water every day to how to um, 
why we have to give antibiotics sometimes if an animal is sick and the proper way to do that and how to work with your veterinarian when you need to, how to feed a proper ration and, and those kinds of things. Those are lifelong skills that they can build a career out of. And then the uh, next thing is, you know, just good old-fashioned hard work. I think there are so many <laughs> that, you know, people who have grown up on a farm, we know, we know the lessons that you get living on the farm, and it's really, really important to my husband and I that our kids get that same opportunity. And so uh, a youth livestock project is an excellent way to give them their responsibility. There's, you know, there's a lot of days when I turn them loose in the barn and I tell them, you know, you guys go take care of your projects. I'll come back and check on you in a little bit. And then the third thing is there's a huge mental aspect that goes along with competing. Um, Kids that play sports and and do other things like that, they know what that mental aspect is. But there's there's an added layer of that when you've got an animal at the end of the halter and you you've got to get that animal under control, but you got to keep yourself under control to remember all the things that that you've been working on. There's a huge mental part of that that yes. goes along with it too. Yes, definitely. So I I even remember back, and boy, this will date me, but. I think I had a show calf back in 1970, (laughs) (laughs) and I still remember some of the lessons I learned, uh, particularly showing my calf at the state fair and and him dragging me around the (laughs) ring. (laughs) So when I see these kids, uh, I know they are learning some great lessons. Now, this year has been a lot different. Uh, with COVID-19 and and all the things we're having to do in regards to that, how has that affected uh, what y'all have been able to do this year? Well, you know, I talked about we start these projects, you know, almost a year in advance. And so this spring when it came time for us to decide if Jewel wanted to go ahead and buy a couple of market lambs, we decided – you know, at that point, we really didn't know what things were going to look like. This was still kind of in March, and we just we just had no idea what was going to go on this summer. But we decided as a family that even if we purchased those lambs and we ended up with nowhere to show them, that it was still a learning opportunity for, for Jewel, um, and we were going to work those lambs just like we, we knew we had a show to go to. And same thing with with their breeding heifers and their market goats. We worked, they worked, um, just like we knew for sure that things were going to go on, um, even though sometimes they didn't work out, you know, our county fair right. canceled. We did have get to have a little county jackpot um, in its place. But as a family, we, we talked about those things, and we knew that, the lessons that they would get regardless if they had the opportunity to actually show these animals in the end or not was worth it to us. And do do you still have some events coming up uh, this fall, or, or are you done for this year? We do. We've got a couple of more big shows left. We're going to go to the Arkansas Youth Expo in a couple of weeks. That's the first year for this show, and it's going to be in Fayetteville. And they've got their goats and their heifers uh, still watching ah. those animals and working with them. And then short time after that, we'll be at the uh, Arkansas State Fair livestock show. All right. And a lot of people don't know that's still going on, even though the fair's not happening. They are still going to have a livestock show, correct? 
Correct, and we're we're really grateful for you know these shows who, where the fairs have been canceled that they've still made an opportunity for the youth to get to do that. I I think a lot about the kids who maybe aren't like my kids that don't don't live on a on a beef production farm or a goat production farm or whatever species it is, and this is their real opportunity to get that hands-on experience. And so I'm really grateful that those show organizers are still proceeding forward with what they can do to give these kids an opportunity. That's great. Well, we wish Jewel and Henry and Madeline uh, good luck uh, when they go to the, the last few venues this year. And uh, in the future, too, and we appreciate you, Dana, taking time and sharing with us uh, some of this story of, about your children and how they learn from showing livestock. We really appreciate your time. Well, thank you for having me, Keith. I'm happy to, to share about it. Finally, we have a special interview with Jason Brewer, General Manager of Ritter Production Farms. Ritter Agribusiness of Marked Tree was established in 1886 and continues to diversify its farming operations. In 2018, the company ventured into specialty crops by purchasing Gillum Farms in Judsonia, which was known primarily for its blackberry varieties. Brewer tells us how Ritter is now growing blueberries, strawberries, and muscadines and is expanding its blackberry acreage for local sales and shipment across the country. My name is Jason Brewer. I am the general manager of Ritter Production Farms, uh, division of Ritter Agribusiness. Uh, we are part of E. Ritter and Company, which was founded in 1886 by Ernest Ritter. Uh, he started buying farmland in the Arkansas Delta around Mark Tree, and uh, we still own the first piece of farmland that he bought uh, to this day. We're now in the fifth generation of family ownership, and so uh, our roots are in row crop agriculture. They started, uh, like I said, in 1886, and we still are, that have a large holding in row crop agriculture in Poinsett and Mississippi counties. Beginning in 2016, we wanted to kind of look into doing some different things. And so uh, we decided to move into specialty crop world, and uh, we wanted to get closer to the end consumer. And so uh, 2016, we began talking about what could we do to you know, get closer to the end consumer and so we started with flowers. We, uh, we started growing sunflowers and peonies uh, for cut flower markets. Learned that there's a lot of uh, labor that we were no longer used to with row crops and uh, lots, lots more people involved. In 2018, we purchased the farm that we're on here now, uh, here in Judsonia, which is uh, now Ritter Farms. Uh, and it is a blackberry, muscadine, blueberry, strawberry farm. Uh, we set on roughly 400 acres here. Our main crop is blackberries. Uh, we are a commercial producer of blackberries. Uh, ship them all over the central and eastern United States. We also have our uh, retail store here on the farm where you can come during season and buy fresh fruits, uh, jams, jellies, juices, things like that. And, and right now in the fall, we're in, uh, we've got pumpkins and we have our muscadines. You know, being in, in a, especially a blackberry and, and muscadine producer, uh, it's, it's a small market. Uh, it's, not, it's not a huge, uh, huge market. And so when we can put our name, our label on our fruit, uh, it says right there on the label, proudly, you know, produced in Arkansas, it's Arkansas grown. 
you know, we strive to, to make sure our local markets are covered, but we also, you know, ship commercially as well. Uh, but we get comments, you know, from people for our label of how much they like our fruit. Uh, we strive to uh, make sure that what we're sending is the best quality that we can. You know, we want, we want to send out a good, a good flavorful uh, blackberry. A lot of what our goal is right now is, is to be a very large blackberry producer. Uh, when we purchased the farm in 2018, it had about 35 acres of blackberries currently growing on it. We're up to 70 now, 70 acres. And my goal is to have us to about 110 acres of blackberries on this farm here. Uh, the good thing I really like about the way this farm was set up originally and what we continue to use now is we use all surface water for our irrigation. We have no, no wells on this farm pumping water. We use all surface water to run through our drip line. So, you know, we're utilizing what, what the good Lord gives us to make sure that, you know, that we're watering our crops. But our goal is to have around 110 acres of blackberries growing on this farm in the next three to four years. We're very proud of Arkansas agriculture, very proud to be a part of it. Uh, we're diversified. We still have a row crop, you know, uh, world as well as moved into this. And uh, if you haven't had our blackberries, I encourage you during the summer months to hit the, the local retail stores or come by our store and pick up some Ritter Farms blackberries and uh, give us a try. That's it for another Arkansas AgCast. We'll be back next week with more interviews and news about Arkansas agriculture.